Now it is that the temple is being dedicated uh, by Solomon and the Israelites. And uh, this evening we're going to focus on Solomon's prayer of dedication and uh, and what what that all entails in this chapter. And so just a a beautiful prayer um, calling on God's promises, um, asking him to fulfill uh, his his promises, his will, and we see Solomon really aligning himself with God's will as he's asking for these things from him. And so let's pray and let's get into our study. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us once more to this place to study your word and, Lord, to see your faithfulness, Lord, to see how it is that your people especially in instances like this, how they come to you and worship you and, and Lord, pray in alignment with your will, for that is what you desire. And that's what we desire, Lord, that as we get to know you better according to your word and by your spirit, as he gives us understanding, Lord, that we also, in our personal prayer and corporate prayer also as a church, Lord, we would be detailed in our prayers, asking, Lord, that you would glorify yourself in and through us, and Lord, that you would give us wisdom and discernment in how it is that we approach you. And so, Father, we commit this evening into your hands, Lord, we ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. But I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel stood. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to David, my father, saying, Since the day that I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there. And I chose no man as prince over my people Israel, but I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name may be there. And I have chosen David to be over my people Israel." Now it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to David, my father, Whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, it is not you who shall build the house, but your son who shall be born to you shall build a house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made. Where I have risen in the place of David, my father, and sit on the throne of Israel, as the Lord promised, and I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, and there I have set the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with the people of Israel. What a beautiful blessing. What a, a beautiful declaration of God's faithfulness we see here. As Solomon addresses Israel, it's time to dedicate the temple. 
You know, some titles to the section in our Bibles read, Solomon blesses the people, or others read Solomon's speech upon completion of the work. When you consider the substance of the text, it becomes clear to me that this speech does indeed bless the people as Solomon acknowledges that the Lord has fulfilled his promise, the promise that he had made regarding who will build, where it shall be built. And as Solomon acknowledges the grace and mercy that God has toward his people. You see, it blesses God's people when they are reminded of these very things. It encourages us. It builds us up. It reminds us of God's grace, his compassion, his patience towards us, his mercy. It reminds us of his very character and how much he loves us. It reminds us of the fact that He desires to meet with us, to commune with us, to have fellowship with us. When, as Jamie had said, sometimes we feel overwhelmed, like perhaps this day specifically or this week or just this period in our life. Sometimes we get overwhelmed and there are things that are challenging to us. There's things that we are faced with that really trouble our hearts and yet we can come and we can be reminded of just how much God loves us. In fact, we know, ultimately, how it is that God demonstrated His love toward us. As God sent His Son to die on the cross on behalf, behalf of you and I, that, that substitutionary atonement has made it possible for us to be covered by the righteousness of Christ, be forgiven of our sins, and know the hope of heaven. And so we are blessed when the word is spoken, when it's simply read. I I can read that, and that would be quite enough. As Solomon addresses the people, he's blessing the people with the promises of God, with the faithfulness of God. A reminder of who God is toward his people, his goodness. Again, it builds their faith. It reminds them of their hope, and it also stirs them up knowing what their purpose is, and that it's to glorify and to worship the Lord. You know, Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Referring to the hearing of the truth of God's word, 1 Thessalonians 4, 18 says, therefore encourage one another with these words. And so we see Solomon referring to how, as he said, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud in the previous chapter, verses 13 and 14, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. And by saying these things and reminding them of his very presence and his faithfulness, how it was that he even demonstrated it to them, and he was with them in the wilderness, as they did come out of Egypt, and the Lord was with them all the way through, he's acknowledging and confessing that God's presence was dwelling with them in the temple that was built just as God had promised. Aren't you encouraged when you hear God's word? That's why it's so critical 
to have that devotion time with the Lord. The first fruits of our day we offer to the Lord. You know, one of the things that C.H. Spurgeon uh, would refer to as, is, as his time, his devotional time with the Lord, first thing in the morning and last thing in the evening, is that he would say those are the morning sacrifices and the evening sacrifices. Things that any child of God should give themselves to. Hearing the word of God first thing in the morning and then closing the, the day with God's word. Again, being reminded of who God is and being refreshed and just being filled with his word. And so by saying these things, by reminding the people of the fact that the house of the Lord had been filled with the cloud that is with the very presence of the Lord... He was acknowledging and then confessing that God's presence was dwelling with them in the temple that was built, again, just as God had promised. This was a fact. It wasn't superstition. Sometimes we can get wrapped up in things and they can become superstitious to us. That's what we worship. It was just a fact that God was with them, ready to have fellowship with them and be worshipped. As we read in verses 3 through 11, Solomon faced the people. And then as we read there, did you notice something what the people of Israel did with the, the people of God? Solomon faced them. He was blessing them with the word of God. What do they do? They stood up. They all stood up. And that was common. In fact, in Jesus' day, the teacher would sit down and the people would rise to their feet. And that's exactly what we see here. We see Solomon facing them and they all stood. They all rose to their feet. The whole assembly. And Solomon acknowledges God's actions, how it is that his actions match his words. You know, sometimes we complicate things. And the word tells us to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Right? To not swear by anything for nothing is ours. Nothing in heaven, nothing on earth, nothing, nothing is, is ours to swear by. Just simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Is that something that God has imposed upon us as if it's something we're expected to do just because he wants us to do those things? No, 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 no. What, it, what happens is, is it reflects his very character. He is faithful to follow through with what he has promised. What he said he would do, he did. And Solomon acknowledged that God completed the work and his father, David, and he were simply instruments in God's hand to complete this work, to be used to build this temple. It is at this very point when we acknowledge that it isn't us, 
we have simply been used by the Lord to do whatever it was that is honoring and glorifying to the Lord, that we've been used as instruments in His hand to complete that work. It's by doing so that we humbly acknowledge God, honor Him, glorify Him, and we at that point yield ourselves to the Lord and confess that we are simply instruments. We are vessels used by Him. It's an honor. It's a privilege. You see, God is able. God is faithful. And we ought to believe that with great confidence. We are God's instruments used by Him to fulfill His will. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The things that He has prepared are laid out for us in the Bible, the very Word of God. We are His workmanship. And so He's forming us and shaping us, sanctifying us in order to bring our Creator glory, to reflect who He is in our lives. That as we walk in these good works, we bless Him. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let, let your sh light shine before others so that they may see your good works in glory. We give glory to your Father who is in heaven or glorify your Father who is in heaven. Our, our light is to be um, simply uh, reflecting to the Lord. Um, a reflector has no light in and of itself. It simply takes the light that shines on it and reflects it so others may see. But really, if the origin is sought after, what happens is it's not the reflector that gets the glory. It's the very source of the light. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works, the reflection of where the light is coming from, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We know that God is faithful to complete what he has begun. He's begun the work. He's faithful to finish it. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That's his will. He wants to complete it. We need to consecrate ourselves unto the Lord, devote ourselves to him, commit ourselves to him. Not allow ourselves to be entangled with the affairs of the world, but be completely devoted to the one who has enlisted us. You see, God is able to deliver from trouble as he has. This is a reminder of what Solomon addressed the people with. This was a reminder. God is able to deliver us from trouble as he has. In fact, he's able to save. As he delivered Israel from Egypt, now at this point when Solomon was addressing the Israelites, God had delivered Israel from Egypt some 500 years earlier. And so he was reminding them of the very 
thing that God did. He delivered them from Egypt. So God has delivered us from the world. What no man could do, God did. He provided himself a sacrifice, a redeemer, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And through his shed blood, he conquered sin and death as he resurrected from the grave. He has delivered us from the world's sin and death. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so with these words, as Solomon blesses the people, Solomon is acknowledging all that God has done up to this point. If he's done it up to this point, he is faithful to continue doing what it is that he wills to do, what he has spoken. Let's continue verse 12. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of of Israel and spread out his hands. Solomon had made a bronze platform of five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had set it in the court, and he stood on it. Then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, Keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk in my laws as you have walked before me. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant, David. Solomon, with this, expresses a and communicates a humble prayer to the Lord. In fact, this prayer, if you consider the law, the Pentateuch, or the five books of Moses, you, you realize as you go through it that it's in alignment with much of what we find in those five books. It was a humble prayer because Moses was expressing a yielding to God, a submission to Him, confessing that there is no other God like Him. There is no other God beside Him. And Solomon prayed this with hands spread out to heaven before the altar. And with that, not presumptuously, in the temple. He understood, Solomon acknowledged that, the, that only the chosen descendants of the high priests are to enter into the holy place and the holy of holies. And so Solomon reverenced the word of God and acted accordingly. Inappropriately going into the temple? Absolutely not. The holy, the holy place and the holy of holies? Absolutely not. He stood outside, yielded himself to the Lord, 
and prayed with open arms, with hands that were raised to the Lord. I know today we, we often pray. Most of the times we pray with our eyes closed, our heads bowed, right? With hands folded. But do you ever pray just, just standing there looking, looking up to the heavens? I found myself here, especially lately, with everything that is happening in the world today, I catch myself looking up at the clouds and thinking, oh, may at this very moment, that would be wonderful to hear the trumpet, to hear the cry of the archangel, and then in a moment in the twinkling of an eye to be with him. In the clouds, just as he ascended, so he will come, and he will, we will be raptured to be with him forever. I catch myself oftentimes today just praying with open eyes, just looking around and asking the Lord to, to do whatever it is that he wills, to help me in the moment. You see, the Lord tells us in his word to pray without ceasing. So you can't always pray with your eyes closed, right? Because you guys, y'all drove here? <laughs> Should be in constant prayer. Even when we're working, even when we're doing things, in the moment, you know, Peter prayed something when he, and he did walk on water, right? As he, as he took his eyes off the Lord, and we know the story, he took his eyes off the Lord and he put them on the storm, Right? But in that moment when he started sinking, he, he simply cried out to the Lord, save me, right? Uh, in that moment, I doubt Peter prayed, Lord, save me, right? It's more of like, Lord, save me. In the midst of our troubles, you see, God is faithful. He is with us. Solomon was praying with his hands lifted to heaven, with his eyes toward heaven, Why? Because he was simply praying toward the Lord in that very place that was being dedicated to the Lord. There is no place that God is secured to. He is everywhere at all times. Whether we pray with our eyes closed or with our eyes open, God hears our prayers. Solomon, again, he was humble in this moment. He did not act presumptuously, not inappropriately. He was not prideful. He was humble before the Lord. He blessed the people, and then he turned his attention to the Lord. Solomon praised God for his faithfulness up to this point, and then called upon God to continue to be faithful in his reign as Solomon Acknowledging the conditions upon which God stated that he would ensure that the sons of David would sit on the throne. He acknowledged that. I understand, Lord. Please keep your word toward the sons of David. David himself. You assured him that, and you promised him, that there would be subsequent sons that would reign on the throne 
if we kept your word. And he confessed that, obedience to God's word. It would be good if we today acknowledge the same, confessing and praying and humbling ourselves before God. Knowing that he is faithful, he desires to bless each and every one of us through Christ with an abundant life of peace and hope in his salvation. As his children, as we abide in Christ and walk in his ways, being led by the Holy Spirit and truth with great understanding. As Solomon did, so we ought to do. Lay hold of God's promises in faith, acknowledging them and acting upon them with great confidence, knowing that God is faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 17, It says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. God is faithful. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And so as we look to God, we know that he is faithful. He has been faithful and always will be faithful, for he cannot deny himself. As again, 2 Timothy 2.13 says, and we've come to know. And so Solomon is laying hold of God's promises. O Lord, confirm your word that you have spoken to your servant, David. And he's calling out to the Lord. Verse 18, as we continue, says, But will God indeed dwell with man on on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord, my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be open day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place and listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people, Israel, when they pray toward this place and listen from heaven, your dwelling place, And when you hear, forgive. It's wonderful that Solomon, although he built this beautiful temple, acknowledged one thing. God was not constrained or restrained or kept within the walls of the temple. He understood God cannot be restrained in that way. But he did acknowledge it indeed was a special place where God desired to meet with his people and to receive worship in a prescribed manner. Again, sometimes we can dismiss the fact that God has set aside certain places to gather together to worship God, to grow, to be discipled, to be encouraged, to be built up in the Lord, to come to know salvation, a special place where God's people meet and, and unbelievers come in 
and they see us interact. And we ought to demonstrate in this special place the fellowship of the saints, the love that we have for one another tells them that we belong to Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Because in the same way, I, I remind you that Solomon, th- this is what I, what I really want to note here and want to bring to the surface to your attention, is how it is that Solomon understood that God could not be contained in the temple. Although this was, this was a work that God had ordained for them to complete and fulfill. This was a place that was set aside for them to bless and worship the Lord, to praise, to bring their sacrifices. A place to meet together. But he didn't turn it into a place to worship. And that's very important because, again, sometimes as Christians, and I see it within the church, again, there can be superstition that creeps in. You know, we worship the place. We, sh- we worship things to a certain degree. And, and really, it's a, it's a place. These are things that have been set apart for the service of God to bring him glory. But God is in this place, and God is with you as you go and wherever you go. His spirit is with you, for you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Because if we become superstitious, in that superstition, we can be easily deceived. Easily deceived by charlatans, fakes, frauds, imposters, masqueraders. Those who go around fooling people. You see that on TV all the time. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12 says, And what... I, what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds." We ought to be careful that we're not taken by, for instance, the teaching of Bethel and um, the false teaching of grave sucking. That um, they talk about uh, gold flakes coming down on the congregation and that's evidence of the Holy Spirit. Glory clouds in the corners. And there's more, there's more teaching as far as Bethel is concerned that we can go into. Charlatans, fakes, imposters. We need to be careful. That is why I appreciate how it is that, again, Solomon noted and he acknowledged 
the truth of the temple and he expressed sound acknowledgement that he is nothing before God. The temple itself is set aside for the Lord. But the temple itself could not contain him fully. And he refers to himself as a servant of the Lord, his God, and asks that his ear, the Lord's ear, God's ear, would be inclined to his people when they pray and seek him. And when they did pray and repent, Solomon asked for one thing that is necessary for all of us, and that, that is God, forgive us. Would God then listen to Solomon and do, and do as he asked? Or was the prayer request that was in alignment with what God desires to begin with? Now, for Solomon, it's, he aligned his will with God's will. This is, this is exactly what the Lord desires. That we would humble ourselves before him, repent, and ask for forgiveness. And Solomon was simply asking that God would do what he desired to do. You know, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. As we draw near to God, we cannot be double-minded. We cannot have these hearts that are clouded and then expect him to draw near to us. We must humble ourselves. We must confess our sins and turn from our sins, that is, repent from them. From this request, Solomon continues to pray with specifics regarding repentance and God's forgiveness. And that's what we're going to see uh, through the rest of this chapter. Verse 22. If a man sins against his neighbor... And is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house. Then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, repaying the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. So we begin with the first request of Solomon. Solomon asked that God enforce any oaths between people. And being witness, and that God would act justly. That He would judge between people, holding them to their word. Today, we don't have a temple, we don't have the altar, but we do have the church, as they had their priests, their high priests in that day. We have the word. We have pastors and elders that have been ordained by God as his servants to minister to him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, again, I, I have been bringing this up a lot lately. I've been asking you to consider one thing, God's consistency, Right? Because the word tells us, and we know it to be true, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
So we don't have a God who changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He is the same God. As we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 in Solomon's prayer, is the same thing that we have today. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes this to the Corinthians, to the believers. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? If at any point someone wants to point out, judge not lest you be judged in the context of the church, all you have to do is go to Scripture. All you have to do is go there and know that it is the leadership, it's those that have been ordained by God. God's, God's anointed certain men to lead within the church to judge matters. This is plain as plain can be, isn't it? Is it, is it not? Amen? Because <laughs> this is an indictment that Paul was bringing against the Corinthians. Verse 4 says, So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud and even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do, you, do, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So as they were these things, now they are not, and they are to be able to judge these matters. Interesting. How within the church, we ought to have the capacity to, because we are equipped with the word of God, to judge matters, disputes within or between people. Matthew chapter 18. This is exactly what Solomon is, is asking, that the Lord be just, to judge justly. Matthew 18. Here's another example. If your brother sins against you, tell it to the world. Oh, no, it doesn't say that. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> Post it on social. No, it doesn't say that either. 
imply it, right? No. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. This is um, something super important. You cannot pass this off on someone else. You you got to man up. You got to woman up, right? If someone has sinned against you, don't go running to someone else and ask them to take care of your problems. This is part of maturing within the body. Remember, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples by by the love that you have for one another. And so with that, someone's offended you, someone has sinned against you, go to that person and, and talk to them. The whole purpose of that is, Restoration. And, and the only way that you can find restoration is acknowledging that there is a standard. The, stat, the standard is God's word. So therefore, you need to agree as believers in God's word. You're right. That's not right. What I said or what I did or how I treated you or how I mistreated you, it was wrong. And we humble ourselves. We yield to the authority of God's word. But first thing, bring that to the attention of your brother. Just between you and your brother, or if your sister, it's your sister. Verse 16, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So you take two or three, unbiased Don't take people who just simply agree with you, okay? Don't do that. Take take a couple other people who are trustworthy, who will hold it in confidence also, and are willing to, okay, we just went over 1 Corinthians chapter 6, right? Judge the matter. And listen, church, as brothers and sisters, we ought to be willing to do that. Absolutely. I'll sit and listen to the situation and judge the matter. I'll, I'll tell you, we'll, we'll go through it and we'll go through the word. They're unbiased and they simply, they're not with one party or the other. They're just simply willing to listen what the issue is. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church... Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That is, you no longer treat them as a brother or a sister. In other words, the one who proclaims, claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ and yet refuses to listen to the word of God or to yield to it, you do them a disservice and actually enable them thinking that they are in the right when you continue to have fellowship with them. It's, it's super clear, right? Treat them. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Any questions? This is just. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. This is speaking to the leadership of the church. Check this out. 
This is for the matter that has been brought to the leadership of the church. Pastors, elders, this is serious. This is not something to gloss over. Because it says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This has nothing to do with prayer, by the way. So where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Isn't he with you wherever you go? Then that... The quote of that is actually taken out of context, and it has nothing to do with prayer, for he is with us, right? This has to do with judgments within the church. I tell you, and I warn you, church, this is very serious, because if the church reviews a matter and brings judgment on the matter, and a person, a person who says they are a believer refuses that judgment, and then they go off to another church, they're not loose from it. It says here, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is judgment. This, this is judging a matter. You see, today people jump from church to church, and they just, they, they disagree with the judgment of that church, according to the word of God, and they just go to another church. You, probably, you all know probably that that happens, right? I'm unhappy. I don't agree. No, you just didn't get your own way. You didn't yield to the authority of God's word. It's home. And you go somewhere else. Guess what? You have not been loosed from that judgment. It is binding. It is serious. This is what Solomon was praying. Lord, hear from heaven. Judge between the two. Judge justly according to your word. You see, God requires that we, his people, reflect the very same thing. In fact, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. This is exactly what he requires of you and I. To hold to what is good, to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our Lord. Because ultimately God sees it all. All is exposed to him. In Hebrews chapter 4 Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. At some point, we will be held accountable for our actions, our decisions, our words. 1 John 1, nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You, you can apply this to each section of scripture that Solomon prays and asks 
God specifically to hear his people when they cry out to him. So keep this in mind as we continue with these specific requests by Solomon or from Solomon to God. Let's continue verse 24. It says, If your people Israel are defeated before the enemies because they have sinned against you and they turned again and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to them and to their fathers. If there is defeat in life or trouble in their lives because of their sin against God, Solomon was asking God to forgive them when they repent and plea or cry out to God asking for his forgiveness. 1 Peter 4.15 says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. 1 Peter 2.20 says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So then again, if there is a genuine confession and repentance, Solomon is asking the Lord, Oh, hear here, that, that means acknowledge them, God knowing their heart. If they're genuine in their confession and repentance, oh Lord, please forgive them. Verse 26. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin, when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. Verse 28. If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemies besiege them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people, Israel, each knowing his own affliction and his own sorrow and stretching out his hands toward this house, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of the children of mankind that they may fear you and walk in your ways all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers." If there is any of these things, famine, a plague, because of the people's sins. And Solomon is asking if they pray and humble themselves and acknowledge you, God, and repent of their sin, please hear and grant them again forgiveness. Hey, listen, remember that God's forgiveness is always according to his grace, not giving us what we deserve. You see, we deserve to pay for our transgressions in full. So anytime there's forgiveness, it's God's grace. It's his grace, it's his mercy, it's his compassion toward us. But forgiveness requires from the individual humility, reverence, confession, and repentance. From the individual and then collectively from the people. Again, I remind you of 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must come to him in that manner with humility, reverence, and confession. Repent and believe is what Peter would tell the people of Israel as he preached on the day of Pentecost. Repent and believe. Jesus, as he preached, he said, repent and believe. Sometimes we want to have salvation by just confessing that we believe without any repentance whatsoever. Well, it's the repentance that demonstrates that we belong to him. If you love me, keep my commandments, is what Jesus said. Again, we go to the simplicity of the teaching of the word of God, right? We, we prove, we demonstrate to the Lord that we belong to him because we obey him. Therefore, we have repented of those things that at one time offended him. And now we follow through with that which blesses and glorifies him. Verse 30 says, Then hear from heaven your dwelling place, and forgive and render to each whose heart you know, according to all his ways for you, you only know the hearts of the children of mankind. As if people would consider God and repent, it would be so that they may fear God and walk in his ways. Not so that they could live however they pleased in the land that God had entrusted to them. In fact, we need to understand they were simply stewards in the land that, that belonged to God. And to be honest with you, it sounds a lot like the United States of America today. Many Americans do not understand the stewardship of this land we have come to enjoy and be blessed with. They don't understand that. Very selfish. I, I want it my way. I want to do things. Whatever I want to do is what I want to do. No fear of God. Definitely no obedience to him. There's no humility. No confession. It is required that we fear God and obey his commandments. Or else we will continue to slide down this path of destruction as we are today. We, that, that slope is, is getting worse. But for you and I, we are to stand fast. We are to be immovable no matter what persecution comes our way no matter what opposition comes our way. Remember whom we serve. We serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We are citizens of heaven. And we are here for a short period of time, but our citizenship is in heaven. And by the way, this is true of any people. We as people do not possess any authority to even negotiate terms with God. He states them, and we are to follow them. That's it, period. Even his grace known in Christ is on his terms and not our own. So why would it be any different with life as a whole? After all, 
We are, we are reminded of his creation, created in Christ Jesus. We are created in God's image, therefore we are subject to his authority. He is sovereign over everything. Keep this in mind as we continue and we close out as we continue the rest of this chapter. Verse 32, likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. Foreigners, do the same laws of God apply to them? Is the same grace extended to them when they acknowledge God, humble themselves, repent, and call on him to forgive them? The answer is absolutely. How? The same way by faith in God. As today we place our trust in Jesus Christ. Anyone here Jewish? So then we've all been grafted. We've been grafted into the people of God. We are his people. Right? We are, in reality, foreigners. And yet we've been adopted as sons and daughters Genesis 12, 3 says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In Isaiah chapter 19, verse 24, it says, In that day Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 48 and 49, It says, if a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Remember that even the, the temple was a house of prayer for all nations. Isaiah chapter 56, verses 6 and 7. says, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. We know that salvation did indeed come through Israel, through the Jews. 
but all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that was quoting Joel 2.32. Therefore, Solomon prays for the foreigners who call on the name of the Lord, that God would hear and forgive them when they repented, feared God, and obeyed his word. Verse 34 If your people go out to battle against their enemies, by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to you toward this city that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause. Yes, there is plenty of evidence in the Bible of God sending his people to clear the land of those who are a defilement to the land, practicing idolatry, using in that event Israel as an instrument of righteousness. In battle, as the warriors go out, in that moment when they prayed to God, Solomon was asking that he maintain their cause. But God's people need to be careful to go to battle when God sends them and not indiscriminately against whoever they'd like, especially for a general overtaking of the land, at least as much as they possibly can. This is not a land grab. This is, this is not a license to just go out and grab as much as they possibly could. He would need to send them out. And as he did, Solomon was asking, please hear their prayer. And maintain their cause. To preserve the principles upon which the battle is based on. To sustain them until such causes are secured and God is glorified. As an example of this, we see in Ephesians chapter uh, 6, verses 18 through 20. It says, praying at all times, and this is what the Apostle Paul was asking for. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You continue, continue to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ until the day he went home to be with the Lord. Verse 36 if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive, and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their captivity to which they were carried captive, and pray toward the, their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their pleas, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Verse 36 is where we get Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it's the habitual sin that Israel found itself in over the course of their history, as it is recorded, as we have seen in the book of Judges, and we also see in Second Chronicles beyond the reign of Solomon. We were, we were going to come upon that. When God's people sin and are taken into captivity like Egypt, like Babylon, and they pray, crying out to God, and they repent, 
And Solomon again asks the Lord to hear them, to forgive them. That God would maintain their cause in that moment as it has come back into alignment with God's cause. And finally, let's close verses 40 through 42. Now, O my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. And let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love for David, your servant. May the Lord be present. May the Lord prepare his ministers with righteousness and salvation. May God's people rejoice in the goodness of God. And he was asking, do not allow your anointed one, referring to himself, to turn away from you. You know, we know that that's not what the Lord desired of Solomon, right? But we know what Solomon did in his later years as he continued. He did not heed the warning of God. He took many wives, many concubines. He enjoyed the riches to the point to where he was drawn away from the Lord and even worshipped the false gods of his wives and his concubines. So although, and this is what I want to point out, although we can pray these things, we need to act on them. Faith without works is dead. He was asking God to remember or to acknowledge his faithfulness and his steadfast love for David. He said, your servant. He was Solomon's father, but ultimately David was God's servant. The Lord is faithful. The question is whether we will acknowledge him, fear him, obey him, and serve him all the days of our lives. The question is whether we'll be faithful toward him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. We've already quoted 1 John 1, 9 several times. It says, if we confess our sins, if it's conditional, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we must not continue in sin and prove that we actually do not belong to him. You see, it says very clearly in the Bible, 1 John 3, 6 says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. It's a, a statement of truth. At some point, we, we are to humble ourselves. We are to repent. So, I'll be humiliated. I, I will be embarrassed. Well, good. That's Okay. Because at some point, we need to be okay with perhaps being embarrassed, being humiliated. My sin will come out, and people will know my sin. Would you rather 
be prideful and remain in your sin and prove that God is, is not the authority in your life, that Jesus, you've called on him to be Savior, but he is not your Lord. No, it's a, these things that Solomon was asking that God would acknowledge. Same things. My brothers and sisters, it's the same thing today. Oh Lord, acknowledge the cries of your people. May we humble ourselves. May we allow the Lord to do whatever it is that he needs to do with us in order for us to be genuine toward him genuinely express our love toward him. And if it requires our humiliation, our embarrassment, so be it. Why? Because in the end, what really matters is that, that you are right before God. Although all, everyone else forsake you, even though everyone else will ridicule you, the Lord will not forsake you. Think about that. We must repent of our sin, and then we must obey and serve him. Father, we, we know these things to be true. Oh, Lord, we desire to be a church that is pure, Lord, not caught off guard or, Lord, surprised at your coming. But, Lord, a people that are filled with your spirit. Lord, humbly drawing from you and trusting in you, walking in your ways according to the spirit and by your spirit and according to your word and and Lord, that we are blessing you, Lord, uh, really anticipating, anticipating the moment that we are brought into your presence. And so, Father, forgive us. Fill us with your spirit. May you hear the cries of your people as we confess and repent and ask for forgiveness. Help us to be a people who are ready for our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name.